0: Welcome to this week's Single Track World Podcast. I'm Hannah Dobson and I'm here with Benji. Hello. Hello, Benji. And Mark. Hi there. Let's start this chat with uh, news in brief, things from the week. Go, Mark.
1: Right. Well, I think the thing that's caught my eye this week is the fact that Glentress Forest is set to welcome the 2023 UCI Cycling World Championship as a host venue. I've got the press release here. basically. It doesn't
0: say very much. It, well, it doesn't
1: it, say very much, but I just think it's, it's, it's breaking news, isn't it? I think it's such a good uh, thing to happen for Glen Tress. The, the UCI 2023 Cycling Championship is all that track stuff and road things, which actually you wouldn't associate with Peebles and Glen Tress and Emily at all, but all that's happening in Glasgow. But, so what they're doing next year is they're going to bolt on all the cross-country stuff all the, the mountain bike side of it. And that's all gonna be hosted in Glentress Forest. And I think that's yeah. newsworthy. That's, that's well, quite well, well, exciting. It
0: is, yeah, it's the whole kind of festival cycle that's coming to Scotland because they've also got the downhill at Fort William.
4: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Something in the press release that caught my eye was the terminology they used. They claimed that Tweed Valley is a breeding ground for professional mountain bikers. And it just made me giggle because usually the term breeding ground <laughs> is associated with things like bacteria and germs.
0: It's a little bit lost in translation, perhaps. Uh, okay, go on then, Benji. What have you noticed um, in the news this week?
3: A couple of really uh, expensive bikes that not very many people are probably going to buy. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> there's the Uno, uh, Uno, Uno. Marketing department Barcelona. there, Benji. <laughs>
0: um,
3: they've announced their burn. It's got an incredible seat tube. Like, it looks like it's all seat tube. And Depending on your age, it either reminds you of an Ancelotti or a Trimble, depending on your. Um...
1: Neither of those terms are conjuring up images for me, so you're going to have to give us a bit more <laughs> context. To think. Yeah, the,
3: the, the top tube starts starts at the um, the stem, whatever, and goes down to kind of the bottom bracket, and then you've just got the seat tube on its own, like a um, a yacht mast. So it's uh, yeah. You're not selling it to. No, though. it's it's exactly yeah so it's an unknown burn i don't even know what travel it is i assume it's like mullet only so it'd be like a 160 kind of bike the other bike's quite similar intent which is a deviate uh, claymore which is a little bit more normal looking now that we've all got used to high pivot idler kind of bikes it's one of those ah. designed and whatever up in scotland so how, are five. these ridiculously priced bikes ben they're just uh, very niche. I wouldn't everything's ridiculous here price, isn't it? You can spend money on um, the, the uh, main brands, can't you? But it's just that I think they're quite alternative brands, people who want something that feels a bit different. Have we got news stories on the site for these? Or are no, we these to... the ones are just mopping up, really, because they're not uh, anything that I would think would turn into anything massively interesting, apart from announcing that they exist. So, so if anyone wants to find out about them what did they google? They google for massive seat tubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh no burn. U N N O burn B U R N. Mm. And deviate Claymore. Mm. Now Claymore is something it's a mine Scottish, isn't it? It's isn't a weapon. No, something like it's a
1: sword. that. Sword. Oh, it's a sword yeah. yes. It's a so, massive sword.
3: I think that's the uh, the Scottish, Scottish uh, agro vibe. <laughs> yep. Mm. I think there was one at the, uh, well there was, they were, they were out at the uh, EWS, uh, Tweed Valley, being ridden by someone. Tweed Valley again, yeah. gets into all the headlines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hannah, what have
1: you
0: got? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the magazine oh, is out gosh. this week. Mm-hmm. The latest issue of Single Track World is out this week. And uh, of course, it's rather good. And it's got lots of articles in it. That, and- that's
1: hardly news. <laughs>
0: well that it's good yeah well, the fact that we exist is is news i think now, the world lost another print mountain bike magazine uh, last month mm. um, the beta magazine no longer exists but we do in print and digital format and and we're out this week so that's a good thing and i'd like people to read it because it takes quite a lot of work does that
1: it does indeed it does indeed it's kind of interesting that, you know, that over the years we've been around for 22 years now, Ben, 22 years. Remember those? Mm. No, I don't. Delivering... <laughs> you don't? <clears throat> I still remember delivering issue one to your house personally. I put it through your letterbox. Parents house. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. remember that. But in all those years, you know, it, it was damaged. Of, it you know, wasn't really. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it is. It'd be up in their loft, probably. They keep hassling me to empty their... Uh loft like they're going to put anything else there no. <laughs> it's insulation isn't it what's the matter with them
1: <laughs> maybe that's the thing we should be doing with back issues they you know we should be turning them into insulation no, it's, it's heavy though isn't it? it's exactly. like
3: it's when you keep vinyl records in your loft and you suddenly see the imprint of them coming through your ceiling <laughs> 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 Not good.
1: no I, I, the point i was going to make is that in the 22 years we've been in existence we've seen a lot of magazines come and more of them go. And the thing is that there's a bit of a misconception that the, the competition in the market means that when one goes, the others benefit, you know, in all the years that I've been doing this, when magazines close and shut up shop, it's nothing but sad and nobody wins. You know, we we don't see a benefit and neither does anybody else. So it's always sad. We, we are sad when other mountain bike magazines close, even if they are perceived as our competitors.
0: I always find it really frustrating, though, when you get a whole bunch of, like, you get the sort of outpouring of grief. The, oh, but I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I really, I really liked reading stories with integrity. Or you might get the, oh, but they didn't write stories with integrity. Uh, it's all boring. It's all product stuff. And you're like, but, but we're here, we're over here, and we're writing nice stuff, and we're putting loads of effort into it, and come readers, read us. And, yeah, that thing of, like, people that just don't know you exist. You know, mm. people are like listing on social media, ah, oh, but what I want to read is not stories about product. I want to read stories about people and adventure. Like, yes, mm. yes, it's here. Come and read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're here, everybody. Issue yeah. 143 <laughs> is out now in your in your local bike shop, actually, no, on your local website. Come and get it from us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Should we so, move on? <laughs> yeah, go on then. Uh, let's have a discussion topic, Mark. What's what called like
1: my eye? What caught my eye this week? Right. Well, it's, it's interesting. What's caught my eye this week is is, is hardtails and the surprise, uh, to me, at least, that I've actually enjoyed riding one. I've been playing a lot on the Orbea Uron, which I think means is Basque for go or far away or something like that. And It's a hardtail, and I recently broke my leg. I broke my leg. It's not broken now. I not broke on
0: leg. a hardtail. We should not point on a hardtail. <laughs> no, I,
1: I should I should uh, distance those two facts from each other. This was back in February, and it was snowboarding. Um, a skier hit me. It was not my fault, which is makes me feel very bitter for the fact that it's taken so long to heal. <clears throat> Interesting thing, you know, the one that I was told oh, six six weeks. Six weeks, you'd be fine. You've broken your—it was my fibula, so it's like useless bone down the side of your of your leg. And uh, I was told, oh, six weeks. You know, that's that's kind of fine. I, I got my head around that. Thought that's cool. All right, I could do with six weeks of not doing much, and that's. I got back into the UK because this happened in Canada, went to the Fracture Clinic after eight weeks and they re-X-rayed my leg. And the consultant sat there and we looked at this X-ray. And first of all, on his desktop, there was an X-ray. And it was clearly the the first X-ray from when I broke my leg in Canada. And I thought, well, he's going to show me the new X-ray with my perfectly lined bone. And he, then he started talking about it, saying, so you can see that it's doing well. It's, it's healing. And I said, wait a minute, that's 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 now? He said, yes, yeah, that's now. It's it's kind of healing all right. You can see the bone forming." I said, to be honest, I'm pretty disappointed. That looks like it's still broken. He looked me in the eyes. He said, well, Mr. Olker, if you were 10 years old, we'd be looking at this X-ray now and you wouldn't be able to tell that it was broken. But, you know, you're 50. And I just, uh, my shoulders sank. And yeah, so it's taken like four months and I'm just recovering now. And the hardtail was testing my leg. And so the thing that's caught my eyes, well, two things. One, it's actually shown me how uh, it it tests my leg and I know that it's actually kind of healing really well now because from one week to the next, it hurts less after I've gone out for a ride. But also what's actually surprised me most is how much I've enjoyed riding a hardtail it's not the motor was in was incidental to the experience and uh, hardtails are still alive and well i have to say and, and i've spent like five years going i'm not going to get on a hardtail again i like my comfort i like my comfortable armchair but no i've had so much fun on this hardtail so that's what's caught my eye is that hardtails are here to stay they're so much fun and everyone should uh, dig out their old hardtails and give them a go
0: okay benji's not gonna
3: argue with that are you, Benji? no <laughs> no i oh, have given okay. my hardtail to someone else to ride who didn't have a bike i don't i don't particularly miss it benji i have a question for
1: you on that topic mm. do you prescribe to the i think this is an old school attitude do you prescribe still to the idea that if a beginner is coming into mountain biking and they're saying what bike should i get that you we you say get a hardtail get a good hardtail no do you do, no that no, used to be the all case all. didn't it we used to there used to be an. our we used to talk to us you know probably me and you and actually everybody else In days gone by, we used to say, you should get a hardtail because it teaches you to ride, you feel the terrain and all the rest of it. These days, I think that actually would probably put a lot of people off.
3: Yeah, it's you just have to learn again, don't you? If you start on a hardtail and then start on a full suspension bike, you're riding very differently, don't you? So I would, if you could, it's all sort of money, isn't it, really? But if you could, Mm -hmm. I'd go straight to a decent full sus if you're getting into the sport. It's like uh, nonsense, really. It's all your weight balancing and where you weight and where you put your body and you're shifting and where you push down for grip and where you unweight. It's just like, you have to start again. So you actually you probably mm. were starting on a hardtail <laughs> then moving to a full sus, cause it's like, oh God, just gotta, I've got, I can't ride it like hard. And you still, pe- you see people, particularly people who are of an age who are riding a full sus bike like it's a hardtail mm. and getting no benefit and all the subsequent disbenefits. that isn't a word. Mm disadvantages of uh, full sus so uh, no not at all
0: oh you two you two in your lovely cosseted lives honestly i only ride a full suspension bike because i get them on test like i literally could not afford to run a full suspension bike
3: i don't know i think a lot of it if you've you, a lot of people are shouldn't get full sus bikes if you can't adapt or commit to them. People who chop and change, you're just going to get nowhere and they'll get better. You'll probably ride better on a hardtail, I would guess. But I don't know. It's not like hardtails are cheaper. They're not a lot cheaper, are they?
0: But they are cheaper, that. Well, what cheaper hardtail run, are you like, riding that's cheaper? Are you
3: riding a 700 quid hardtail? Or is it 3,000?
0: Oh, rigid full suspension stooge.
3: How much is that?
0: Sorry, a rigid no suspension stooge. Yeah. How much was that? It's about a grand. Yeah.
3: You could be on a second-hand stump jumper and like...
0: Yeah, but then yeah. I wouldn't be able to service any of
3: it. With a 70-degree like, head you know? angle. Yeah. I don't know. I do, to me, it comes down to whether you like to fight the terrain on the bike or you like to feel like you're working yeah. with it. And I'd, I've got, I'm fed up with fighting bikes on the terrain. done that. No joy. I, bikes should be fun, not mm, white knuckle. I agree. rubbish. I
1: think this is an age thing, Ben. I think as we've got older, we've just gone, your bike should be... It's all about the fun. I don't want to ride a bike to get fit anymore. Oh, i know i did. want to be fit to ride a bike but getting fit is absolutely of no consequence to me when riding a bike it's all about having fun
3: no i'd ride bikes if they made you unhealthy it's like drinking other things you don't do things because they're for health you know it's a, it's a nice benefit <laughs> weird
1: anyway yeah hannah
0: what's
1: yeah. caught your eye
0: uh so it seems to be a number of racers not racing. Mm. Um, and, and we, so we expect racers to not race when they've broken their legs and collarbones, that kind of thing. But there's, there seems like there's been more riders just going, mm, nah, don't really feel it right. And now I might just not race. So we've got Finn Isles set out the last downhill World Cup because of concussion, very sensible. Uh, Tiny Seagrave, likewise concussion and kind of combined with anxiety possibly as a result of the concussion she's also sat it out and then we've got reese wilson's just announced that he's not gonna race for a bit he's not set a time for coming back he's not said why he's just like he just he doesn't feel right it's kind of non-specific isla short has been missing the world cup focusing on some local races I think as having had COVID and she's kind of not right and trying to get back to full strength. And then Evie Richards has pulled out of the next World Cup. She's got a bad back and she's had a bad back for a while and she's decided that actually she'd quite like to not have a bad back anymore. So she's going to have a go at getting it fixed.
1: Do you think this is all coincidental or do you think there's something happening?
0: Well, this is what I wonder. Is it like a self-preservation actually life is quite long and there's going to be a life after racing maybe it makes more sense to not do that kind of mm. burn brightly briefly thing
3: I think there might be some um, without I don't know how to name things really because a lot of these people who are stepping away from things are sponsored by companies who've had flack before for not looking after their athletes properly mm. so I don't know whether they're going the other ex- not extreme or whatever and I think there might be something in kind of people stepping up and being maybe over, over-cautious or something, but you can't really be over-cautious, It's Just you?
2: a duty
0: of care. Yeah. Mm. Well, it'd be, certainly be good to see riders experiencing a duty of care from their employers, effectively. Yeah. I mean, mm. There's been a bit of debate, hasn't there, in the law world about whether they are employees, whether pro-cyclists are employees and whether they get rights and that kind of thing. So, yeah, good to see them being kind of treated
1: like man carpenter i think she might have set the precedent a few years ago because her reasons for backing out i think stemmed very much from a personal wellness point of view when she had that massive stack at fort william uh just coming into the the finish i i kind of feel if looking back on that there was that was perhaps a catalyst for her and she sort of decided that you know what there's more to it than just this yeah. and i think and, and so maybe this isn't something that's just starting to happen now. I think it's been coming for a while.
0: And now Manon's doing a whole bunch of advocacy and activism Mm. stuff around mountain biking and trails and environmental aspects yeah there there are other things to do other than race and rachel Atherton, it was on instagram as well this week wrangling with that question as well she is saying she really wants to race she loves the feeling of racing and pushing herself but equally she wants to be a mum to her kid and she doesn't want to spend all of her baby's young life in the gym and so like that's what it would take to be a pro racer at that level so how does she balance that which is a you know a career question that i think every mother faces for rachel's case yeah there's a time limit isn't there you can only be a pro racer for so long and then your age is going to catch up with you and you okay right well let's see if benji can take us out of out of the world of philosophy um has anything caught your eye this week benji
3: strava that have now uh as of, I don't know when it was actually, I only noticed it last night or whenever it was, but sometime in the past few days, they've updated it and you can now choose uh, mountain biking as the activity you've just done or about to do. I don't know if you can go back and search, it doesn't really matter does it, because everything, it starts from now all the data recorded, doesn't it? So it doesn't really retro affect anything that's already been logged on there. But it opens up the thing of um, how you should behave when mountain biking and whether you should be are you suggesting that Strava affects behaviour? No, I mean, I don't think Strava has, has changed that much in terms of mountain bike culture. I don't think it's maybe sped things up. I don't think it makes anyone do anything they wouldn't have done otherwise. Unlike road cycling, I think it's probably ruined it. because so I don't think people, road cyclists will say, right, like, they don't know if their ride's been good until they check Strava. Have I been on a good ride? Let me ever find out. <laughs>
0: What does that tell you about road cycling? I know, maybe? yeah. But it's I it, it kind of does. Type two, it, isn't kind
3: it? It.
1: This, this is why I don't Strava. Um, I've, I, I don't Strava because not because I've got anything against Strava. I think it's a really useful tool. My wife uses it, but I know if I did it, it would ruin my rights.
3: No, I don't use it for any kind of the segment things that. because road cyclists use it for that, don't they? Leaderboards and things. Whereas mountain bikers, like everything from year, whatever we call year dot. It's where new can I ride? What, what, what areas can I look at? And it's whether we are worried that... Um, Can't have it. It's also whether you have it both tracks. ways, don't it? It's whether yeah, you, I want to know where to go, but I, don't, uh, I also don't really mind. But some people will be like, I'm all right to find out where to ride, but other people don't know how to behave. and they blame strava or something like that and it's like my objections to strava is entirely personal i think it's a great thing
1: in in of itself as technology goes it's just that i know that if i got into it i would it would spoil my mountain biking because even subconsciously if i knew i was on a segment i'd start to do stuff that i wouldn't do if i didn't know i
0: was on the good
3: thing about the good thing about mountain biking and segments is how it totally vague and irrelevant the timings are on mountain biking. Because it's like I've gone down whatever a segment or something, and you look at it, and there's a person who I ride with set off after me, finished quite a bit after me, and their time is faster than what I've recorded because my G- our GPS windows overlap the start gate of whatever the segment is. So it's just nonsense. Mm. And everything lasts thirty One... seconds or something, so it's, like people can see where the good riding is and whether you're worried about that or you're not worried about that, and whether it's kind of missing the point that
1: isn't that like what Komoot does? Doesn't Komoot, You could use Komoot to find good riding. Depends what data's there, isn't it? Without the times,
0: yeah, yeah. But has a bit more of a this is a bridal way, this is legal, this is not kind of thing. So it gives you a bit more insight into potential relationship or local issues on Mm. the ground, I think, which Strava doesn't, it removes that need to go into the local bike shop and go, Hey, you know, where should I ride? And they go, Oh yeah, but don't go up there because it's lambing season or the farmers really cross at the moment or whatever. And uh, I feel really conflicted about it because I basically hate Strava. I do not use it. and I think it's probably a force for evil, as is most of the internet. But um, the tracking of where we use, uh, where we are using our bikes, like people will ride wherever they want to ride, regardless of what the rules are. In lots of sense, and you know, in urban areas, it can really prove the demand for infrastructure. Like we want people are trying to get from A to B, mm. and they really want to use this path, so put a proper cycle path in or whatever, and on the moors or cheeky trails or whatever, perhaps it shows us there's demand. Perhaps it also shows that there's so much use that it might be perceived as a problem. I mean, it's great if you're a Daily Mail headline writer, isn't it? People tracked at 60 miles an hour riding down a hill or whatever. What that doesn't tell you is that that person was riding that fast at three o'clock in the morning and at dawn and there was nobody else around and whatever else. But like in Wales, The Strava data has actually been used by I think it was Natural Resources Wales to track where everyone's riding and show that there are hundreds of illegal or unsanctioned trails in Wales and to show how much they're being used and they've basically gone they're there we can't we can't stop this we need to manage this they're trying to manage it in a constructive way by encouraging people to take on responsibility for looking after the trails and having uh, some kind of trail association trail society thing set up but that's kind of a lucky approach like they could have gone we're just going to send a bunch of rangers out there and put a load of fences up
3: Like
0: mm, it's just don't put it on the internet the, why bother
3: any landowners who's uh, bothered about them um, will already be bothered about them. They're not like this going on Strava without a problem and then finding the problem to then sort out. They already, if it's if it's but a you're problem them the already, evidence,
0: aren't you? So yeah. yeah, but they already
3: have that evidence because they've got a problem. So
0: ah, oh, they've just got a feeling that there's a lot of people riding on their land and they don't like it. Whereas then they can go on Strava and go look how many people there are and look at the speed that they're doing and look where they're going and you're quantifying them, giving them the data. That's Why it. bother? I don't think it adds enough.
3: Well, Well, I'd come from the other point of view that through Strava, my riding, particularly where I live is, and consequently my life is hugely better because of Strava, because I can, I've found so many more places to ride and I've had so much more fun. And that's nothing to do with segments because I don't do them, but there's a way of finding places to ride. I don't even have a bike shop here really. It's, I don't know.
0: You need to chat more Benji. I see I find trails by chatting to people, following (laughs) random strangers. Saying hello, that's how you find find trails.
3: Hey, I think it's a bit self-loathing, like, oh, we're misbehaving, you know, whatever. It's always been like this. Why can't you just do it, do it openly? And then no one who's got a problem. It doesn't make people act like dicks. Dicks are dicks. Strava's not changing anything particularly that isn't already always been happening. Mm. And i just say, if you, you have to think, just it's so good finding places to ride and I'm not going to pretend I don't use it
0: I'm not pretending I don't use I know it. But,
3: but if you did <laughs> you could have a trail network that's double that you don't know is there
1: this is this is I think what we've got here we've got three completely different points of view on Strava I think it's lovely you know Ben's a massive advocate though he doesn't use it for segments no Hannah you don't like it at all I no think it's great I just don't use it because I don't trust myself to use it properly
0: <laughs> we have got an article on a website by Anthony de Hemingham that is like achievements that should be in Strava which is things like finding a nice cafe and uh, picking up some rubbish
1: right I think we've put uh, we'll put Strava to bed I think we've settled everything there in that discussion <laughs> shall, we, shall we move on yeah.
0: Yes, so go on then, uh, Mark, what's coming next week?
1: What's coming next week? Well, we've got a trip to the lakes coming for us. We're going to uh, the single track Crew. <laughs> we're going to camp. Uh, well, we're not camping, actually. We're going to go up to the lakes to do uh, have a go at riding up Hellvillion with some new Camelback gear, which is going to be mm. fun. Uh, also, I think what's coming next week, this is something that I'm uh, looking forward to. I think um, I've heard a rumour. That the flex- Careful
0: what you say now. <sighs> Careful. No,
1: no, no. Don't worry. This is no embargo busting nonsense here. Uh, I've heard a rumor that the flex stem is back. And I'm looking forward to next week to finding out some more details. I've heard this from one of our inside sources, uh, Sani in Scotland. He reckons he's found uh, the flex stem again. But uh, yeah, okay. I, 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 just because the whole mountain bike, everything in mountain bike, just like fashion, comes around again. The mullet's back, isn't it? <laughs> Hairstyle and bikes and and flares whoever and thought Benji
0: f- Benji's back, Benji's back. everything is. flex
3: stems is that road one isn't there is it I don't know whether it's not elastomer yeah, I, think, I don't think, I think but... oh I think I've, I've heard a rumor it is around an elastomer I mean, one that would be
1: interesting wouldn't it yeah an elastomer flex stem great a summer only flex stem <laughs> but I believe it's coming for gravel I don't think we're going to see it on mountain biking but then what's the difference anyway that's what I'm looking forward to
0: Okay, Benji, what are you looking
3: for? We're going to the lakes, aren't we? So I'm looking forward to well, yeah. guaranteed yeah. dry weather and uh, no wind. <laughs> and, uh, and I think there is—I don't know whether we we'll be. I would like to hear news from a major brand that we are getting one of their new. Everything's really new and genre busting, but there's a very interesting electric bike coming from a big player, and I'd like, I'd like to get news that we're getting one to have a go on before launch date. And I think by the time this comes out, we might have been able to review and get a few more rides in a new air shock from Marzocchi, of all people.
1: What are you looking forward to next week, Hannah?
0: Oh, another week at the grindstone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you lot are all swanning off to the lake, so I've got to keep feeling the internet. Um, so all the, all the magazine stories will be coming out online over the course of the week. So there's that. It's my birthday this weekend. And then I've got like six weeks until my sabbatical. So I'm just in a frantic world of getting everything ready before I go. Yeah, no. so I, I'm just trying to get lots of stuff done before a long summer off. Mm. Splendid. OK, well, we will see you all again on the other side. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, let us know what you think of our podcasts, uh, kindly and gently, if possible. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Right, and finally for you this week, we have me and Mark trying to not answer the question, how far can you go on your e-bike? Because it's a more complicated question or a more complicated answer than perhaps you might have thought. Here you go.
4: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
0: Welcome to World. I'm Hannah, and this is Mark. Hi. And today we are going to have a chat about batteries. Mm. And half the audience turns off. Oh Stay with us. Stay <laughs> with us. Uh, so there's a lot of like development, progression, diversion, perhaps uh, in the e-bike world since they first came into existence. Mm. And and that's meant that we've got new technologies, new batteries. And they're kind of designed for some different stuff. Yeah. So we are going to answer the question, aren't we, Mark? Uh, How far can you go on a battery?
1: We're not going to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Not in detail, but we're going to put it into some context. Okay. Most certainly are.
0: Um, Because you like maths and numbers and physics and stuff, and and I really don't. I I don't get it. So let's talk about... Talk!
1: Talk about... (laughs) about (laughs) See what you did there.
0: And watts and, and, some, and newton metres and all that sort of We're thing. We're
1: not going to talk about newton metres, huh? no. OK,
0: right,
1: fine. <laughs> what do you want to know, Hannah?
0: Well, so there are, there are big batteries and they'll say however many watt-hours, won't yes. they? Yes, yeah. What does that mean?
1: Watt-hours, yes. Can, can, there's watt-hours and there's watts, isn't there? Right. Okay. Watt-hours is how much energy can this battery put out over a period of time. Okay. And watts is how much energy can it put out right now. You know, so it's maximum power output. So if you've got uh, a small battery that can put out, say, say uh, 500 watts, but the capacity is really small, which means it can only hold a certain amount of electricity, then it won't be able to keep 500 watts coming out for a long time. If it comes out for an hour, then we say that battery has got a 500 watt hour capacity, which means it can supply 500 watts of energy for one hour. Okay. So this is uh, a way of measuring the capacity of a battery, not its power output, but how long can it deliver power for and how much power can it deliver.
0: So when we see new bigger watt hour numbers appearing on new systems, new batteries, that means that it's got the capacity to hold more energy.
1: More fuel in the tank.
0: But how it delivers that energy might vary according to the particular design of that motor system or the motor like?
1: system yeah the motor system principally is going to dictate and also uh, regulations because uh, oh, power is is regulated
0: and is that what then regulates the speed here in the UK
1: it's it's well not really because power you can you can go fast down a hill and use no power because right. you're just rolling so it, it this is where it gets really confusing because it I depen- was
0: confused a long while ago. well
1: sorry <laughs> i mean the speed is the thing that's restricted there's two well it's one of the two things that are restricted in the uk and in europe and in america they're restricted in slightly different ways in america america being america they get to use more power bigger yes better in the uk and the eu the maximum speed that your e-bike can or the motor can power you is 25 kilometers an hour or about 15 and a half miles an hour since we're going to be going all um, imperial imperial again we better start saying 15 and a half miles an hour
0: yeah because more numbers is exactly what i need in my life especially ones that don't divide by 10.
1: yeah in america the regulation is that uh the e-bike motor has to cut out at 25 miles an hour so they get an extra nine and a half miles an hour
0: okay so uh here in the uk then you can't go from kind of naught to 60 in just like that because or naught to 25 just like that because the output is limited as well as the top speed that you're allowed to get to
1: right do you want to get prepared to be really confused now because the that 500 is 500 it it's 250 watts sorry now that is an average power output over a period of time which means that a motor, and this is where some people do get confused because a lot of the manufacturers say this this motor can put out, it's a 550 watt motor. That begs the question, well wait a minute, If if motors have to be limited to 250 watts in the UK, how can they be selling as a 550 watt motor? Well, it's because the 250 watts is an average figure of how much can that motor put out over a period of time. So over... And you know what, I'm not entirely sure what that period of time is. I think it might be something like half an hour. So, okay. and it means, and it's, the regulation is that that motor cannot r- rise above a certain temperature over that period of time. Okay. It's really complicated. But it means, basically what this means is, you can have a motor that's rated at, five, you can have a motor that's rated at 1,000 watts. Mm-hmm. But it has to be limited so that over a period of time it can only put out an average of 250 watts.
0: And so if that motor has the capacity to go at 1,000 but it was only going at 250, does that make it so that it's just like totally cruising along and it's very happy and can do that forever? Yeah,
1: it just, uh, if, it was 1, 000, if it was rated at 1,000 watts, And it was limited so that it could only do an average of 250 watts over a period of time then yeah it would cruise along and but the one thing it would do is the amount of torque that i can put out because the instantaneous power not the average power over a period of time but the instantaneous power could be a thousand watts so when you're talking about doing that naught to 16 then that could you could you could accelerate on that bike very very rapidly a thousand watt motor on, a, on an e-bike would be way too much in my opinion it but it would...
0: would be but here in the uk it'd be restricted by law anyway
1: uh, no you oh. can it, it's you can it's it's all about that average it's about that okay. 250 watts average
0: okay so let's go from the theoretical because really i'm so scrambled at this point yeah uh, let's look at some of the products that are out there and how that sort of how those numbers translate mm. to things on the ground. So we've got the just-a-little-bit-of-help kind of motor systems, haven't yeah. we? Like the Fazua motor. That's right, yeah. Which is, like, just enough to overcome the fact that you're feeling a bit tired. Yeah, it's about, it's about
1: 250 watts maximum power output is the Fazua system. So it can't, not like a, a, fi, a, a Bros 550 watt maximum power output, it's, it's limited to about 200, it can only push 250 watts.
0: Um, and then we've got the sort of semi skimmed ones, semi skimmed. Now, uh, maybe, maybe we should skip the semi skimmed ones. Are we ones. talking
1: batteries or motors here? Because mm. it's different. See, the batteries are all the same. It's the motor that does the power, the, 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 that does the power output and can put the torque into it. It's the batteries that then supply the energy to that motor. So, in terms of the Fazua system, it's a very sort of low capacity battery, which means it can be small and light. Mm-hmm. Um, the motor itself is because that battery capacity is really quite small. The motor is quite small as well. So the two sort of match each other and, and you get this... How would you describe the Fazua system? Have you ridden one? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. would you describe the experience of riding a Fazua system? It's
0: like your legs are really good. Just like you're really fit. Yes. But it doesn't have that zooming away from you kind of feeling. Yeah. So you tend to get the Fazua's on... Um, either gravel bikes yep. or some town bikes as well. Some that are built to be light so that you could kind of ride them without the motor on if mm. you wanted as well.
1: Focus did one a few years back, more of a sort of a prototype, just to see whether it, could, you know, how it would work. And they did it with one of their hardtails. It was the, the Raven and oh, they yeah. called it the Raven squared. And they had the Fazua system in it. The great thing about the Fazua system is that the, the entire motor and battery in one unit, and you can take it out of the bike and you're just left with a bike
0: yeah and so they're super light and um so you can pedal them
1: the fazua system's been modified and you've just been using one on a cairn bike haven't you yeah
0: i had the cairn adventure 1.0 which was again designed so that you could drop the battery out of it and you could ride it along with a big baguette in there instead if you wanted Um, and i kind of feel like you probably just better going for this is a light system so it's a light bike and you can ride it with the battery in it all the time, but if you want to turn the battery off on the flat, then it's not like you're dragging a big hulk around and that's so the key to that's a, the way to go with yes that really. that's the
1: key to the what we've called the low fat system isn't it the low fat system is it gives you minimal extra power it just gives you a bit of extra so it's a bit like having a, a an energy gel at the end of a very very long ride or a push it?
0: up a hill or yeah. so i'm
1: just giving you a gentle push i think Specialized kind of sum it up well what they do is rather than going what's this power that talk here boost they just say that they're their, their low fat system is the SL system. So the, the, turb, uh, the L- Turbo Levo SL, which is a 320 watt hour battery. And the motor is a maximum, I think it puts out 35 Newton meters of torque. We are using Newton meters. I said okay. we weren't going to, but that's how much. And so it's a kind of a low, and they just say, and I think this is beautifully, beautifully explained as a piece of marketing, they just say, this is two times you right and then their turbo levo with its uh, 85 newton meter motor and large capacity 725 watt hour uh, uh battery capacity they say this is four times you so what they mean there with the low fat system is that if if you put in 100 watts that system will put in another 100 watts so you get 200 watts so you're putting in half the amount of effort as you would do for that performance on a ordinary bike, and then with the turbo Levo, you can actually get out of that. You can put in a hundred watts, and it'll put three hundred watts in there for you.
0: So you put in a quarter of the accident.
1: Absolutely. Oh,
0: so did some maths. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so,
0: so, so the, I guess that's then bringing us on there. There's this upper end of the kind of go up as fast as you can and as easy as you can, and then ride that down effortlessly. Yeah. It's, it's
1: interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's, even just a few years ago, the idea of battery capacity was the more battery capacity you have or the more powerful the motor, then the more you the further you can go where it's kind of changing a little bit now it 's more that a super high capacity big battery and powerful motor um can is basically a built in uplift yeah, so you can just boost all the way to the top of the fire road and then just hammer all the way down without using the motor in or as i sometimes do and some people are doing use the motor in boost mode to go down
0: so that when you give like a quick pedal before a jump or something you really get that. very
1: unintuitive that is but actually having that motor on when you especially the bike park uh, or twitchy bit of trail or weather's jumps is uh, you can you can take a berm and then you can power out the berm using the power of the motor and and that sets you up nicely for an upcoming jump or another trail feature it takes a lot of awareness of the system because that power can take you by surprise mm-hmm. and can put you in some tricky situations. But the, the, the good riders who use that power really well can actually use it to help them go downhill. Very unintuitive. No, I don't think anyone predicted that a few years ago that e-bikes would actually be used as, a, as, a, as an extra tool for going downhill.
0: For, for overcoming a lack of weight training.
1: Possibly, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so that's kind of the two extremes then. You've yeah. got the just enough to get you over a hill and enough to whiz you up instead of a Land Rover. Yeah. And then in the middle, there's some other stuff going on. Isn't the it
1: semi-skimmed. Uh, I'd say a really good example of this is the Orbea system. The Orbea uh, Rise, which was our bike of the year, Uh, uh, e-bike of the year last year or the year before but anyway and and it's still my favorite e-bike out there um started off as a carbon version with just a 365 watt hour battery which is kind of bang in the middle of your sort of your your range of of e-bike capacity batteries uh and it was paired up with a shimano um, ep8 motor except that Shimano motor is actually custom-tuned down, so it doesn't give out as much power.
0: Right.
1: So instead of the, the, the standard EP, Shimano EPA, it will give out, I think it's 85 or 90 newton metres. And uh, that's the
0: sort of thing you see on, like, the orange. Yes. Uh, like, just windshot up, plummet down. Yeah. It's basically a downhill bike with an uplift built in, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You'll see, the, you'll see those uh, Shimano motors on many, many ranges of, of e-bikes, but Orbea uniquely have detuned it. So it only gives out a maximum of newton meters of power. So that means that the 365 watt hour battery, even though it doesn't have as much energy in it, that energy isn't being used fast. It isn't being used up by the motor. Right. So the effect of that is that you can get a similar kind of range out of that bike than you would out of a, of what we are calling a full fat system. Um, it's just that you don't get that maximum torque power option, but right. you get just enough. And so they kind of balance each other out. And the, and the beauty of that is it means they can make the bike light and the Orbea Rise is one of the lightest e-bikes that you can get. I think it's around about sort of, 19 kilos was the one that we tested. Right. So I think 19 kilos nearly breaks the 40-pound barrier. Bear in mind a few years ago, I did that trip up the Lake District Pass with Sammy and Nick Craig. Oh
0: well, wait, you nearly died?
1: <laughs> you the
0: The video's well, out there. You? You, should, you
1: should check it out. It was, the, it was probably the worst day I've ever spent on a bike. <laughs> and it was an e-bike in totally unsuitable terrain. But that bike weighed 56 pounds. And some of the mountains we were going up in the Lake District required us to carry them. <laughs> well, I'm completely destroyed. We're just... Just above Borradale now. Uh, We can actually see the van from here. So it's nearly over. But uh, this is one of the hardest things I've (coughs) I've ever done on a bike, and it was an (laughs) e-bike. It was ridiculous. That was definitely the full-fat end of the (laughs) e-bike spectrum. So, yes, so the Orbea system sits in the middle, and it's this compromise. It's a compromise of power and range, and it uses that compromise to keep the whole system weight down. So you've got a bike that kind of doesn't feel like a big heavy e-bike it feels more natural and i think that's the difference isn't it between certain e-bikes is you've got this this um development of e-bikes where the the motor and the battery are there to just give you a bit of an assist but they want that natural feel of an ordinary bike Mm -hmm. and then you've got the other end where you've got never mind ordinary bike an e-bike is an e-bike it is its own thing and they can be big and powerful And they don't feel like an ordinary bike but you can do different things on them
0: yeah and so i mean i definitely struggle with some of the bigger e-bikes going down some of the steep stuff because i feel like it's a bit like riding an oil tanker like Mm. there's just so much intrinsic momentum there and it's so much heavier in proportion to me i don't feel like i'm in control of it in the same way that i am a lighter bike yes yeah so we've talked some about the different kind of intended uses of the different bikes so in use how do what how does what we do with the bike affect how far we can go
1: how far can you go on an e bike that's the question isn't it yeah <sighs> well okay
0: so uh, what, what will what change we... how far you go so first of all I, I can eat more donuts or less donuts and i can carry <laughs> more stuff in my pack so how much does the weight of the rider affect how far a bike
1: can't go well again it's difficult isn't it because the weight of the rider is very much down to how strong the rider is you could be a huge rider but you could be so powerful that you're overcoming your weight in a bit like with the Orbea system that they use a lightweight battery on a lightweight system and so the power to weight ratio is kind of where you want it to be It's the same with a human being, isn't it? You could be enormous, but if you're made of muscle and you're super fit, you're going to have so much power that you overcome the the handicap of your own weight.
0: Okay, well, let's just say then, uh, my legs stay the same, regardless of whether I'm towing a trailer with my kids in it. Well, they're too big for that now, but towing a trailer or not. So, will that trailer affect how far? It definitely will. It
1: definitely will. I mean, what you have to do in terms of working out what weight difference what that makes to how far you can ride you've got to set the entire system as a whole so the entire system is you've got two engines on an e-bike system like that even though you've got the trailer you've got what the battery and the motor can do but you've also got what you can do Yep. and you've got to add all those things in and then you can put those together and if you weigh the system you'll find that actually the biggest lump in that system is you the rider Even the biggest, heaviest, uh, you know, 55 pounds e-bike, I weigh more than that. I am the biggest variable in that equation. Mm -hmm. So you stick a trailer on, you're not really adding much percentage-wise to that whole package. So the amount that it's going to, it'll reduce the range, but it'll probably reduce it less than you imagine it will.
0: Mm, Okay. Is there anything... In the cadence yes. or how hard you're pushing that affects how far you get. You've you're hit the, one of the nails. Feels like there's a sweet spot.
1: Yes, you've hit one of the nails on the head with e-bikes. Is the fact that those motors are actually designed to be optimal at certain cadences. Okay. Uh, which means, for example, the Orbea system and the TurboLevo SL. So that's the low-fat specialized system. Those are those motors are optimized to be the most efficient which means that they use the, the, the least amount of electricity for the maximum amount of power out, uh, a cadence of around 90 RPM.
0: Okay.
1: So 90 RPM is really quite, you know, that's quite fast. That's, it's quite spinny. It's quite yeah. spinny. Yeah. And, and so that means that if you are a slow peddler, if you're on your bike and you're pedaling around and you do like 60 RPM typically, then your motor is going to be working inefficiently on those bikes. So you're gonna run the range down. So this is where the rider comes in as the variable when it comes to range. And when people say, what's the range on this bike? Then to answer that, you have to have a, you have to answer a whole, you have to plug in a whole bunch of variables. One of which is, you know, you've touched on what do you weigh? The other one is how fit are you? It depends on how fast, what your natural cadence is. Is that, is your cadence matched to the motor?
0: Now, surely, some of these motors, they let you adjust it with an app or something like that, do they?
1: No. The, oh. uh, the efficiency of a motor is more of a physical, mechanical thing oh, rather okay. than a software thing. It's, well, it's, just like, it's, it's a bit like a driving a, a car with gears. You know, it's, um, the, you will, you know, we all know, kind of, don't we, that to, typically in a petrol engine car, you'll drive down the motor. If you can drive at 55 miles an hour in fifth gear, the thing's running and using the least amount of petrol. And you're going to get the most miles out of it.
0: Especially if you're riding your so- driving your socks, apparently.
1: Is, is that right? Mm. I don't Turn know off. what on earth you just said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> apparently, it makes you more sensitive to the pedals. OK.
1: Yeah. Right. I'm not going to try that one.
0: Fuel-saving tips. It's, it's, right. These things are important at the moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Opinions yeah. on a postcard, please, on that one. But it's the same as that. So, you know, cars are optimised, you know, 55 miles an hour. I mean, it's different for different cars, obviously. But, you know, we've all heard that sort of analogy before. You drive at 55 in fifth, fifth gear on the motorway and you'll get the maximum mileage out. It's the same with an e-bike. They have this optimum point where it becomes most efficient. And if you hit that point, you're going to go the furthest you can possibly go on that bike.
0: Okay, so if I want to get the absolute most out of my e-bike, do I need to stay at that optimal 90 RPM cadence, whether I'm going up a hill, up a steep hill, or along the flat?
1: A, where you are using the motor, because obviously you can go down a hill and not use the motor at yeah. all, and you can happily do whatever cadence you want. Uh, but where the motor is being used, you want to match the, the, the optimal cadence to, to the way you're pedaling. So yeah, constant pedaling, you know. So it's, um, which means using gears. Mm-hmm. Which is something that people tend not to do with e-bikes because yeah, you, try, all you, you in kind the of middle, treat. Yeah, yeah, you kind of who uses who uses the the the, the, uh, the massive dinner plate cog at the back of an e-bike?
0: Well, hardly anybody because we've got the data on that now, haven't yeah. we? Because some of the electronic gears uh, they can actually track, like from from the apps, which gears people are using. Yep. And they're just staying in the middle of the block, aren't they?
1: Yes, yeah. they are. People are stay in the middle because you use the motor as a gear system. But the trouble with doing that, you slow down and you vary your cadence.
0: And you hit the boost button. And you
1: hit the boost button a lot and you use it like it's another gear, which is fine. You know, if range isn't your thing, if you're still going out and having fun and you've got a a bike that could, uh, a, a massive battery and you aren't coming anywhere near using up the battery, then what does it matter? Use it as you see fit. But if you want to get that maximum range out of it, then yes, there is this optimal way of riding the bike and that is to use the gears and maintain constant cadence okay at the optimal point for that motor system
0: well next time i'm on the last two bars trying to get home on my cargo bike i shall try and optimize my cadence
1: (laughs) oh one thing the the orbea bike the rise i keep going back to this one but i was asked once um what's the range on this bike well i went out and rode that bike and i used it in boost and i went on some local trails and I used it as uplift and I went down and I used it in boost to go down to try and, you know, session some of the features. Mm-hmm. And in t- and I ran out the, the battery, I, I flattened it. And when I looked at how many miles I'd done, I'd done about 18 miles. Right. Not, not, not that great. Many. Yeah. A friend of mine got exactly the same bike. And she rode from uh, Leeds to Southport. And it was about just about 120 miles and still had two bars of... Power left, still had like 40% left. I could have had more fun. Well, you know, so that's, that's the illustrated point there is how ridiculous it is to say, what's the range of this bike? Because it entirely depends. on you right? She rode it on towpath all the way. And for a lot of it, she just turned the whole system off, didn't use it. And that's, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? How far can you go on an e-bike? You can go as far as you want. Don't turn it on. Just keep pedaling. <laughs> you won't have any fun. It'll be really horrible. <laughs> but you can go as far as you want.
0: So when e-bikes first came out we didn't really know that there was going to be this sort of we couldn't foresee this means branching really of of the the options and now we have kind of as many e-bike options as we do non-e-bike options don't we yeah so so you have to go out there and figure out what you're going to use it for and how you want to use it and then pick the system that looks most appropriate to your intended use yeah
1: Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm not sure not we've helped people with the buying decisions though. Here, I'm not, I'm, I'm, have we made it less confusing or more confusing?
0: I don't know. It depends how good they are at following what you're talking about with numbers. <laughs> <I think. laughs>
1: Which is why you should go into a bike shop. If, you, if you're confused by the buying decisions, you don't know what to want. Go and talk to someone in a bike shop,
0: or go to a demo day. Go we'll to try demo a demo Yeah, like something like Tweedlove. They have lots of different sorts of brands there, and you can yeah. you can try a few. Yeah, and definitely. There's a big difference between the different systems as well mm. and i think there's less difference between how they feel like in the beginning there was quite a different mm. like some some were very lurchy and some were much smoother
4: yeah the and software has the, got a lot yeah, better now the
0: technology's become a lot more even
2: and we're I restricted
1: think. to there's more brands out there than there are com- uh, e-bike components i mean for the motor systems what do we have we've got um we've got the specialized bro system there's fazua there's uh, shimano and there's bosch and there's yamaha yeah there's probably you know so there's basically at the moment five systems
0: and then there's a few others when you get out of the mountain bike world and into the kind of urban and commuter and cargo bike stuff then you get into the things like hop motors mm. there's a few different systems there yeah um but there some of their behaviors are a bit different yeah again
1: I think mountain biking it's you've got basically you've got a choice of five yeah really the bazoo is really quite rare when it comes to mountain biking, you've got the five options, but really the, the ones that rule the roost, Shimano, Bosch, they're the ones that kind of rule and, sh- and specialise just because with, it's such a big... The with the bros. system because it's such a big brand. Yep. But those are basically you, 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 the, the, the kind of the, the three big wigs in, in the market.
0: Go out, try one, have fun.
1: Yeah, if you haven't tried one yet, you've got to do it. I've got... Uh, I'm going out riding tomorrow, and I'm not taking an e-bike, I'm taking my... Uh, analog, acoustic. Do- oh, you'll Meat. get pe- you'll get people setting fire to turds on the doorstep if you call them acoustic. <laughs> you know how they hate that. <laughs> but yes, knee powered. Knee powered. Me- powered.
0: Meat powered. Knee powered.
1: Meat. Knee powered. Yeah. Anyway, my ordinary bike. I'll be riding that tomorrow. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it because it's the bike that is suitable for what I'll be doing tomorrow.
0: Uh, well, I'm going away. And I'm taking not an e-bike with me because, A, I can't put the e-bike on the roof of my car, Mm. which means I can't sleep in my car because the e-bike would be in there. And also, I'm going to go and ride some unknown trails where I'm sure I'd be very glad of the e-bike on the up, but I'm not convinced I'd be glad of it on the down as I squeal down some steep catch Mm. berms and that sort of thing. So I'm going for the, the lighter bike with the weak legs.
1: Good for you. Should we leave it there? Yeah. <laughs> if, if, uh, I've talked a lot about technical things. This is totally unscripted. Um, if there's, I didn't know what you were going to ask at all. We just said, hey, let's go and talk Not about batteries.
0: stupid question. You Not know, a stupid question
1: about batteries. <laughs> if you spotted any errors in there, forgive me, and stick your comments below and uh, let us know what you think.
0: All right. Bye. See you later. I like being the Stooge that doesn't know anything.